0: Amen. Well, I promise you one thing, the, the more you get to know him, the louder you'll sing that song. Amen. And the older you get, too, probably, uh, the more you start to appreciate uh, the promises that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, G, the Bible teaches us that if it was only for this life we had hope in Christ, we would be above all men the most pitiable. Uh, and as our pastor, through all of his years of biblical study, and he has an earned Doctorates in theology and all that has led him to the phrase that he gives us this life sucks and without Jesus Christ we would be above all men the most pitiable. Uh, Our hope in Him is not for this life. In this life, God has blessed us and He has made us many wonderful promises. And He has offered us to have an abundant life and that in Him we could live it to its fullest. Do you understand, like when we're singing that, we are free, free forever. Amen. Okay? You are free in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus Christ won for you. Uh, The Bible says that he made public spectacle of principalities. Uh, One of my favorite basketball stories is about Larry Bird. uh, Children, that was a basketball player who played many, many, many years ago for the Boston Celtics with shorts up to here, you know. (laughs) Remember those? Oh, boy. And uh, that's one of the great things Michael Jordan brought to the sport was baggy shorts. But... Uh, there's a great story about Larry Bird and uh, Xavier McDaniel, who was like, like one of the enforcer-style players in the NBA back when it used to be a man's game. And uh, he was a rough, tough guy, and he would, with no problem, throw an elbow in your face. He was that kind of a guy. Uh, he was a fierce competitor. And his story that he has about Larry Bird that, that he always remembered was uh, there was like two seconds left in the game. And he was guarding Larry Bird. And Larry Bird walked over to him before the play started. He said, I'm going to get the ball right there and hit the game-winning shot on you. And walked away. And he was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. He goes, the whistle blew. He got the ball. He went to that spot. He threw the ball up in the air and won the game for him. He, Larry Bird made public spectacle of poor Xavier that day. Uh, and it's a very poor example of what Jesus Christ has done. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he made public spectacle. And when he rose from the dead, he sealed it forever and ever. That through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven Of all of our sins, not just some of them, not just a few of them, but every single sin that you ever have committed, that you are currently committing, and that you ever will commit, because believe it or not, Christian, you are currently, probably right now, committing some sort of sin, right? Whether it's something that's rolling around in your head, or something that's going on in your life, we are anybody who claims to be without sin, the Bible says is a liar, and the truth is not in them. The Bible says that all, how many is all? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus Christ, by the sacrifice, by the sacrifice uh, that he offered of himself and that God offered in giving his only son on the cross, won for us, won for us something that nobody and no organization and no system could ever win for anybody, and that is a relationship with God. Uh, The very definition of religion is man's attempt to reach God. And what we learn from scripture is that is an impossible task. It's an impossible task. No one can draw near to God. He is over us and he is above us in every single way. And our very sin, the sins sins that we live in day by day, being in these bodies of flesh, separate us from God. He is a holy God and no sin of any kind can enter into his presence. It does no good to keep score. It does no good to have yourself the list. I got a gold star today because I didn't do this and I did do that. Too bad about you over there. Yeah, you know, we're doing all right. I'm sorry about you. No, no. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God every single day. There's never a day that goes by in my existence that I earn a relationship with God. And what I could never earn... Jesus Christ won for me at the cross, and the Bible teaches that he made a public spectacle of the principalities. In other words, what he told the devil is, not only am I going to smash you, but I'm going to become a man. I'm going to be broke, I'm not going to have anything to my name, and I'm going to live by nothing but the power of the Spirit of God. And I'm going to defeat you, and I'm going to conquer death at the cross. And I'm going to do it in such a way that you think you're winning. And you're not going to realize what's happened until it's over. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And his last words that he cried out, it is finished, literally, to telestai, which means paid in full. All of it is paid in full. And that's the best news you'll ever hear. Because let me tell you what it means. Let me tell you what it means, Christian. It means that every single day you can wake up and you can look in the mirror and you can go, oh boy, it's not a pretty picture, but it's paid for. It's paid for. And no matter what happened to you, no matter what you've been going through, the things that have happened to you, and the things that you've done, or allowed to happen to yourself in this life, are powerless against the blood of Jesus Christ, Amen. and against the power of the Holy Spirit that seeks to set you free. We don't wake up as Christians and go, "Okay, all right, all right, all right, today I'm going to be a Christian today. I'm a Christian today. I'm, a Christian, today. I'm a Christian today. Christian today. I can't do this. I can't do this again. I can't go to the. I wake up every single morning and I'm free. I don't have to worry about it. I trust and I believe that the Holy Spirit living and moving through me will guide me into his will. That's what faith is. And you can live your life. If there's something, if you seek to live your life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if there's something in your life that he needs to deal with, Christian, he'll deal with it. I can't tell you the things that you need to do and the things that you need to stop doing. I can proclaim to you the Word of God. This is what the Bible says. And this book says of itself that it is living and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And it has the ability to divide joint from marrow, soul from spirit, and to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so, what I believe and what I know to be true is that as we study this together and as you study this at home for yourself, God will begin to speak into your heart and speak into your life, and He will show you the things that need to change. He'll show you things that nobody else could ever show you because you know how you are. Look at you with your American flag and your Fourth of July fireworks, your whole deal's based on rebellion. That's it. That's all you people live for around here is rebellion. I mean, we're convinced, aren't we? The Garden of Eden, God says you can eat of any tree except for that one. And Adam and Eve said, Where's that at? Which, which one? Where? How do I get there? Just in case, you know. This is our nature. This is the nature that we have within us. We know this. I can stand up here all day long and say, listen, you're a Christian. And what that means is you don't smoke and you don't chew and you don't go with the girls that do. Okay? All day long I can say that to you. And you know what it means? Jack squat. But when the Holy Spirit of God begins to commune with you and speak into your heart and into your life and it begins to say, son, daughter, I want you to step away from this thing. It becomes not a, a, not a working, an outward working of your flesh, or some manifestation of religiosity, but it becomes something that is taking place inside of you, and it is a freeing, and it is a liberating thing. Amen. And when God sets you free, the Bible says that you are free indeed. And when God moves in your heart, and He moves in your life, and He takes you here, and He takes you there, you ever remember any of you guys, country music fans, Anybody? The good ones, okay, all right. There's a song by Rascal Flats. I almost said fats. Freudian slip. Rascal Flats. God bless the broken road that led me straight to you. And I sing that to my wife when we're driving in the car. I'm like, God bless. And she's like, oh, stop, you know. He's, I hope he blesses the road that I'm about to take. God blesses the broken road. I would not be standing here today with you. The most blessed man in America, believe me, have you seen my wife? The most blessed man in America, I would not be standing here in front of you people today, loving you, sharing the word with you, sharing this fellowship that we have together. If I had not been one of the most screwed up pastor's kids you ever met, I just could not get it right. And if you told me, go right, I'm going left, you say, it's up, it's down. And I did one thing, rebel and run and rebel and run. And if I would have done all the right things and gone all the right places and had all the right friends, I wouldn't be here in front of you today. And believe me when I tell you, there's no place else I'd rather be than right here, right now. Now, in honesty, I tried to get away from you people. If I'm being honest, because out west is the land of snowboarding and dirt biking. And you wouldn't know it by looking at me, but I love these things, okay? I love these things. I'm going to jump out of an airplane. It's going to happen. Pray for a very sturdy parachute because the day's going to come, okay? So I'm telling you this to say I tried to get out west. That's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be out where they make the dirt bike movies and the ski movies okay i that's where i wanted to be i don't want to live here i want to have i want to have i want to be like jumping out of an airplane on my dirt bike with an ak-47 on my back okay with a with a with a davy crockett hat all right a maniac a crazy man and god slammed the door in my face he slammed the door in my face You know, I'm a tradesman. I do fire sprinklers for a living. I can go work. If they put a space station on the moon, they're going to need sprinklers there, right? That's the great thing about being a tradesman. So I can use that to get out west. And I call these companies up and I say, hey, you need a sprinkler fitter like me. Why do you buy? I'm the best. And we doubt it. Uh, And it's just not going to work out. And Every single door I knocked on, no matter how much I begged, I could not get a job anywhere out west. God continually shut the door and I kicked and I stamped my feet and I, and I yelled and I screamed and I cried inside and I was angry because God your Bible says that you're going to give me the desires of my heart and you know what the assumption I had made was that was incorrect that I really knew what the desire of my heart was how well do you know yourself well, it's evidenced in by how often you surprise yourself. You ever do something, lash out, say something, think something, and go, dear God, what is wrong with me? Or how did that happen to me? You see, I thought I knew what my heart truly wanted. And what God taught me through that is the only way to get to that place Is by fully putting your trust, your hope, your dreams, your aspirations in his hands. Do you believe what he says in his word? When he says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a future and hope. If you believe that. Then you're willing to put it in his hands and say, Lord, my life is yours. I'm trusting you. <laughs> Christian, he will never, ever disappoint you. And even through the trials and even through the tribulations, you know, Ant, we have talks all the time. And he'll say, Why me? Why me? And, you know, for those of you who don't know Anthony's story, you can talk to him after church. He has two sons, both with micro, microcephaly. They're extremely severely handicapped. They require 24-hour around-the-clock care. Uh, and the, 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 the burden that, that Anthony and his wife Anna have been given to bear is, is, is I can't explain it to you, okay? You would have to go to their house to have dinner and spend time with them and see, sorry, the schedule <laughs> and what they go through. But, sorry. Marriage said I cried on the inside. See, I, I don't know myself. I'm a liar. <laughs> you see that, and you say, "Why? But God has given Anthony and his wife Anna a gift to love those boys like I've never seen. And he is, for us, an example i point to anthony my buddy anthony all the time i don't know how anthony does it but anthony knows how he does it ask him he'll tell you how do you do it anth jesus the grace of god because god gave him to me and there's never a day that goes by that anthony doesn't look as his boys and go i'm the most blessed man in america that's the key that's the secret It's not the situation. It's not the set of circumstances. It's where does your heart live? David talks about this amazing spiritual disappearing act that he was able to do. Where he set his feet up upon the rock. And he said, now my head is lifted up high round about my enemies. You see, David understood, King David understood that when he was close with God, when he was walking with God, when he was in fellowship with God, that there was nothing in this world that could get to him. There was nothing that could get to him because he was safe in the arms of the Father. And even if wicked men took his life, he was safe in the arms of the Father. That's the faith that God has given us. Um, okay, let's go to the Bible. Exodus chapter 30 is where we're at. And I really want to get to this because this is, this is, this is good stuff. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 17. So here's the tabernacle, right? Here's a picture of it. Okay. We don't know something like that. Okay. That's the best we can do. Right? Something like that. You have the outer court. You have the altar of sacrifice. You have the holy place. And inside of that, the most holy place. Where there was a curtain in there that divided the holy place from the most holy place. In the holy place, okay, was the menorah? Was the table of showbread? And was the altar of incense. In the most holy place was the Ark of the Testimony. Okay? Where once a year the high priest would go in there and sprinkle the blood of the Lamb on top of... The top of the Ark of the Testimony was called the Mercy Seat. And so inside the Ark of the Covenant, that is God's covenant, God's testimony of His nature to mankind, inside of the Ark are the Ten Commandments, the Law, the handwriting of requirements what the Scripture teaches are, are against us... Because it's contrary to us. Okay? You can't understand fully the good news till you understand the bad news. The bad news is we can't get into heaven because of sin. Well, how many have sinned? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When the church fathers met together uh, because there was a whole bunch of of, of Jewish uh, teachers, religious leaders that had gotten saved and then they were going around and teaching the Gentile church in order to really be a Christian you have to be circumcised and you have to follow the laws of Moses. So the church fathers finally had a big meeting about it, and they talked about it. And finally, Peter stood up and he said, Why would we put a burden on the Gentiles that neither we nor our forebears were able to handle? In other words, nobody can keep the law. That's the point. When you read through what we call the Old Testament, through the books of the law, okay, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you read through these laws and you're supposed to go, holy cow, I can't do all that, bingo, bingo. And so, here is God speaking through the ages, through his people at that time, in the Ark of the Testimony. You have the Ark of the Testimony, inside of it is the Ten Commandments, the laws of God, and then once a year, the high priest would come in and sprinkle the blood of the Lamb. Now, we know Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Remember, when he first appears on the scene, John the Baptist is baptizing. You've seen the Jesus movies, right? Right? And Jesus appears at the Jordan River, he shows up, and his cousin John says, Behold, remember, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Once a year, a perfect lamb, without spot, without blemish, would be sacrificed, and part of its blood would be taken in and sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Ark of Testimony. What is God saying? The law is in my covenant. You can't escape it. You can't get away from it because it is true, because it exists, and the law is contrary to you, and all men are guilty before me because of sin and because of what the law says, but... There's a mercy seat, and on it is sprinkled the blood of the lamb, that anyone who would put their hope and trust in him would be forgiven. And that offering was for the sins of all the people. That once a year lamb offering sprinkled on the mercy seat was for all the people, okay? Now, outside of there, you first you come through the outer court, the tents of the outer court, the, that, that outer wall. And you first come to the altar of sacrifice, where the sacrifices are made, where the burnt offerings are made. That bowl, okay, in between there and the tabernacle of meeting, is called the brazen labor. That's where we're at today in the scriptures. Exodus chapter 30, verse 17, the brazen labor. Let's read it together. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze, with its base also of bronze, for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. See where it is, between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. And you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. Oh, so you're saying that part's important, God? Lest they die. You know, can you imagine your first day at work and you got your orientation and the boss is like, now make sure you do this lest you die. You know, I don't think this job's for me. Okay, the office of the priesthood, ministering God's will, God's word, the worship of God to the people was deadly serious. And one of the important things that we learn from the law that we're all thankful we're not under is that the way in which people had to come to God in worship of Him and in the offering of sacrifices to Him was extremely specific. There was only one way for it to be done, and no other way was accepted. And if you happen to be a priest and entering into any of the holy places and you did it incorrectly, well, we're going to get to some stories. It would cost you your life. So this is important. Why is God so stringent? Why is God so stringent? Because of what it speaks of. And we're going to get to that. Remember, Moses and the children of Israel are going through the wilderness and the children of Israel thirst. They're dying of thirst. Moses, we have nothing to drink. They begin their usual grumblings and complainings. And you remember, God says to Moses, strike the rock and I will give the children water to drink from the rock. So Moses strikes the rock and the water flows out. We're talking a little bit about water today. The rock is a picture always for us of jesus christ remember what he said to peter you are peter literally little rock and on this rock capital r rock on this rock i will build my church jesus christ is the foundation on which the church is built and on which our own faith in god and relationship with god is built he is the rock and what did he say to the woman at the well remember she he said, "Get me something to drink." And she's getting him something to drink. He said, "If you would have known who you were speaking to, you would have asked of him, and he would give you living water to drink of, and you would never thirst again." And she's like, "Well, gee, that sounds awesome. Give me some of was that smart water? You know, what is it? Give me some of that water." And she didn't understand that he was talking about eternal life through faith and belief in him. And so even that in the wilderness, and we read in the Old Testament, the rock in the wilderness, and Scripture says that Jesus was the rock, didn't it? that followed them around in the wilderness. The water came out of the rock when Moses struck the rock. Jesus Christ was struck for us. He was struck for us. And because of his sacrifice, we have this living water. If you remember, later on, the same thing happens. The people thirst and they grumble and complain. And God then says to Moses, Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Moses loses his ever-loving, living mind. Because he's so angry at the people. And he goes over and he hits the rock with his staff. Must we bring you water? And God says, you can't go into the promised land now. Because you misrepresented me before the people. Because what was God trying to tell the people? Jesus Christ had to be struck one time. He died once, the scripture says, and for all. And after that, you only have but two You only have but to ask. Jesus was struck once. God is very, very specific in the Old Testament in the way in which the people are required to worship him because it speaks of his very nature. And not only that, it spoke of everything that he was going to accomplish in the future that they couldn't even see through Jesus Christ. And that's another wonderful lesson for us. We don't always have to know why. And that's a tough pill to swallow. We just have to be obedient when God speaks. We don't have to know the why. He knows the why. That's where our faith comes into practice. So, uh, they shall wash with water lest they die. Verse 21 So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. He says it twice. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. Now we've been talking about the articles of the tabernacle and how they represented different aspects of Jesus Christ himself or of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Each one of the articles of the tabernacle of worship in the wilderness is representative in one way or another of the personage of Jesus Christ or the ministry of Jesus Christ and what God did for through him you have the outward uh you have the outward wall and inside that is the courtyard the only way you could enter in is through sacrifice that's pretty clear right That's easy enough the only way you could enter in is through sacrifice you with me the only way we can enter into relationship with god is through sacrifice the sacrifice of jesus christ After the sacrifice, before you could go into the holy place as a priest, the Bible says that we are, of course, a kingdom of priests, right? He has anointed us into a holy priesthood. We are a royal nation because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants each and every one of us to enter into the holy place, spiritually speaking, in our relationship with him. There is nothing more holy about any one person in this place than any other person in this place. We are all of us exactly the same in Jesus Christ. The Bible says it very specifically. There is no race other than the human race. There are no sexes. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Okay? That's very, very clear. So after the sacrifice, you could be in the courtyard of fellowship before you entered into the holy place. The true worship were the most deep and meaningful things that happened in the worship of Almighty God, there had to be a washing. There had to be a washing. So what does the labor and what does the water represent? In the Bible, there's two, there's two major or basic main uses that water has, or two things that water speaks of. There's that living water that we spoke of earlier that Jesus talked about with the woman at the well. It's because it's, it's that water that is that, it's that eternal life. Okay, The water of eternal life, uh, this, this, this spring within us, Jesus talked to the woman at the well about, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water and you would never thirst again. It's the idea of eternal life, of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that is forever. The second use of water in Scripture is the washing of the water and the Bible always relates that to the Word. To the Word. You want to have a relationship with God. You want to really enter into the holy place. If you do, this is your ticket. This is the washing of the water. This is your brazen lever, laver, lever, whatever. This is it that you may know. The Bible says, study and show yourself approved, a workman, needing not be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth. This is your access into an understanding of the Holy One. This is your access into relationship with Him, understanding what is He all about, what has He commanded me to do, and how do I put that into practice? This is the handbook of life given for followers of Jesus Christ. This is it. Now, in the Bible, that water represents the spirit is drunk, uh, that's John chapter 4, the woman at the well. The water that represents the word is for refreshing. Now, there's a few things I want you to notice about this brazen laver, okay? First, every other article in the tabernacle used for worship, the altar, uh, the altar of incense, the table of showbread, the ark of the covenant, they all had loops for poles to go through to be born. Remember that. The 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 the, the um, excuse me the bronze laver had nothing. It was to be carried. It was to be touched. It was to be handled. Okay, that's very important when we're talking about it being a picture of the Bible. This is not some holy book. That only through many years of, uh, of schooling and training or only if you've been, you've been accepted into a certain sect of religiosity can you read and know and understand this book. No, this is for you. This book is for you. This is to be touched and to be handled and to be carried by you personally. This is yours. This is given to you by God and it's yours for the washing Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That's 1 John chapter 1 verse 1. That we have touched, that we had handled. Jesus Christ is the word become flesh. The spoken word of God. Jesus, the spoken word become flesh. Representative of God's will being given to the people. Okay? And the Bible is representative of that as well. It's to be handled. It's to be touched. It's to be known by you. Now, concerning this brazen labor, Exodus 38, chapter 38, tells us that it was made also of mirrors so that there was a reflection inside of it. Okay? If you turn to... We can turn there. Zeke, uh, excuse me. Exodus chapter 38. Oops. Exodus 38... Verse 8 says this, He made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So the bronze mirrors that they had brought out of Egypt and they had the same use and purpose as they do now as the mirrors that we use. The bronze mirrors of these women was used to construct this brazen laver. What does that mean? When you would go, the priest would go, and he would stand over this labor to wash himself ceremonially, guess what he would see? Himself. Himself. When the Bible talks about itself saying that it is a double-edged sword and it's able to divide the thoughts and intentions of your heart, that's exactly what it's talking about. When you study the Scriptures, God will show you yourself. God will show you yourself. Where you're lining up, where you're falling short. That's the nature of the word. Uh, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. You remember this part, right? The scriptures. Observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man is. He was, but he who looks, and think of the priest looking into this brazen labor, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. That's James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. The other thing that's interesting about the brazen labor, no measurements are given. No measurements given. How tall was it? How wide was it? How deep was it? There's no measurements given. I'll tell you what I think it means. How big do you think it should be? How big should the Word of God be in your life? Because it'll be as big for the washing in your life as you want it to be. We have no idea how big they made it. That's a a guess, a complete and total guess. Now, I think that King Solomon was on to something. When Solomon built his temple in Jerusalem, and he built the brazen laver, it changed. The name of it would change. It, 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 uh, it, it began to be called the Bronze Sea, or the Sea of Bronze. Um, the laver was, well, this one was probably a few feet by a few feet, but that's a guess. No one knows. When Solomon recreated the laver, it became known as the Sea of Bronze. Listen to this. It was seven and a half feet tall, it was 15 feet across, and it held 12,000 gallons of water. I think Solomon was onto something. I think Solomon understood, at least early in his, in his, in his years as king, exactly what it represented and how big a part of his life it, it ought to be. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. I'm just going to, to fly through some of these verses so we can get to communion, guys. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give, your, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Psalm 119:9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 7 to 11, Jesus answered and said to him, uh, Peter, this is when he's talking to Peter when he's trying to wash his feet. Remember that part? What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Why? Why? Why was Peter saying that to Jesus? Because the job of washing the feet of travelers that came to a person's house was the job of the lowest servant in the house. Now, Peter is the same one that Jesus, when he said, Who do men say that I am? Peter is the one that said, You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And now the Christ, the Son of God, takes the position of the lowest servant in the house and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter understands this, and that's why he looks at Jesus and says, You will never wash my feet. But interestingly enough, Jesus answered him and said, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter, ever being the tactful one, (laughs) Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. For you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. What was Jesus saying? That all of you are made clean through your relationship with me. Because of your belief in me and who I am and what I'm here to do, you are all clean, but you need your feet washed. You need your feet washed uh gospel of john later on in the same portion john 15 3 jesus said to the disciples you are already clean why because of the word which i have spoken to you it's the word uh, in ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 to 27 paul says to the church in ephesus husbands love your wives Peter of course or excuse me Paul is speaking to the husbands in the church of Ephesus of how they ought to deal with their own wives that it's their responsibility to be leading their homes through the washing of water by the word but he also makes a direct correlation between that and the relationship that Jesus Christ has with the church how does Jesus Christ present the church how does he present us As a spotless, chaste, virgin bride, spiritually speaking. How does He present us? Through the washing of the Word. It is of the utmost importance that we study, that we understand, that we continually know and read the Scriptures. Because that's what God has given to us to be clean. Um, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And lastly, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 to 25, let us draw near, this is a good one, this is a good one, write this down. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 to 25, so you can read this again when you get home. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. Remember, the sprinkling of the blood on the mercy seat. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. But exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see that day approaching. What is the writer of Hebrews saying to the church? Remember. Remember whose you are. Remember. Remember. The price with which you were purchased. Keep it ever in your mind. And stay together. Stay together. We talk about church. We don't have attendance policies to be a member of this church. You feel called to this church, you're a member. It's as simple as that, right? What's up, family? That's how we talk to each other. Okay? Seriously. You're my family because you're here and because we're sharing in the Word of God together. Okay, The whole purpose of church, it's not some requirement, it's not so you can check off some box, it is here for you. And not just church fellowship, but any fellowship that you have one with another outside of this place. The fellowship of the believers together is extremely important. Because the Scripture tells us that we ought to be reminding ourselves of these things and remembering these things and talking about these things, keeping them at the forefront of our mind so that we'll do them. You guys ever hear that funny thing, you know, uh, the guy said to his wife, look it, when I tell you I'm going to clean the garage, I'm going to clean it. All right? There's no need to remind me every third month. Okay? There's no need. If I tell you I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. If something's not in the forefront of our mind, right, it's gone. you got too much going on. Our lives are so packed full of stuff, right? I mean, the day and age in which we live, it is like a nonstop, never-ending train that we're on. And it distracts us. It is so distracting. Well, you cannot get out of this world just yet. God has us here for a reason, and this is the train we're riding on. But it is that much more important in this day, in this age, that we remind each other. That we remind each other. Do you remember why you're here? Do you remember what it's all about? Do you remember what God's called you to do? Do you remember? And that we encourage one another in that. And it says all the more as we see that day approaching. Friends, I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. I tell people all the time when I'm talking in a very, you know, kind of just an offhanded way. I believe that this is the Word of God. The Bible, I believe, is the Word of God given to men. And if this much of it has come true, and all the prophecies that God said were going to happen have happened, guess what I believe about this part? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Again, When the Bible says study to show yourself approved, all I need to lead someone to Christ who has an ounce of faith is that first genealogy in the Bible that goes from Adam to Noah. And when you take that genealogy and you translate those names and you see that it is written out in Hebrew, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's all I need. I don't know about you, like I don't need to even see anything else. Because you're not going to ever convince me that 4,000 years ago, ancient rabbis conspired together to put Jesus Christ and his gospel in a Jewish book. Okay? That's an impossibility. But you study just that one genealogy and you translate the names and it spells out the gospel of Christ. The Word of God is beyond. It's beyond. 66 authors, or 66 books, written by over 40 authors over a period of 1,600 years. And yet we find in studying it that it is an integrated message system from outside of our time-space domain. That ain't mine. That's from an engineer, guy, super smart guy. That's his statement, that's his quote. Chuck Missler, if you've never heard of him, Google him. You can take this book and you can rip out pages of it. You can rip out books of it and throw it in the fire. And the message is never lost. The entire church of Jesus Christ was built on the Old Testament. They didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have the the epistles. How do we be a church? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? All they had was the Old Testament All they had were the pictures that God gave them of what the altar represents, what that brazen labor represents, what all the articles of the tabernacle represent, that they could see, wow, this was all pointing to Jesus. Wow. And they preached that. The Bible says that Paul, when he went into a new town, he would go first to the synagogue, and he would preach there from the Word, proving through the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. He had a command of the Word of God. I promise you, the more you get to know this word, this book, the more you will be blown away by its power, by its truth, and by the ability that it has to completely affect your life and the lives of those that are closest to you. Okay, my favorite part, the sharing of the Lord's table. Jesus Christ gave us this meal, all right? That's what it is. Communion is a meal. Okay, it's not a real meal. I mean, it's not going to fill me up. Okay. That's what the church... You think it's a coincidence we got the church supper? on the Because this just wets my whistle. You know what I mean? Jesus, can... let's go have a, a big meal now together. You know what I mean? But this, this is an offshoot of the Passover meal. Jesus Christ, no doubt, shared Passover with his disciples every year. Okay? He was obedient to the scriptures. Passover had to be shared until he became the Passover lamb. But that last Passover that he shared with his disciples, he changed everything. He completely turned it upside down and on its head. When he, took to his, when he talked to his disciples and he said, this cup, this wine, it's Welch's grape juice, so don't get excited, okay? But this cup, this wine, is representative of my blood, which is shed for you which is shed for you for the remission of sins. This bread, this unleavened bread, which is commanded by God to Moses, to the children of Israel, to only eat unleavened bread, that it would have no leaven in it, which is a representation in Scripture of sin. This is my body, that unleavened bread without sin, that is broken for you. And so when you share this meal together, and and none of them understood what he was talking about at the time, They they had no clue what he was meaning by all of this. They were completely, the disciples were flabbergasted every time Jesus talked about dying. You can't die, you're the Messiah. You're supposed to, like, march into Rome, grab Caesar by his throat, toss him into the river, and now you're the king. Like, that's what they wanted. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. The Son of Man has not come to be served. The Son of Man has come to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. And so Jesus Christ changed the Passover meal with those of the, those who were his disciples. And he said, this is my body. This is my blood. So when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And again, there's nothing magical up here. There's no, you know what I'm saying? We are not under the law, thank God. Because your pastor, junior pastor, would have been smoked out long ago, Right? <laughs> You know what I mean? You know I'm not going to wash something right. You know what I mean? Like something's going to go down, and it's not going to be good. You know, you're going to walk in, and who's that? who's that laying on the, oh, junior, you know, let's get a new one. Thank God. This, this is not some mystical thing, guys. You know, and, and when I grew up, and we grew up in a more, more of a legalistic uh, type atmosphere, and it was like, you'd be careful. Because if you take communion in an unworthy way, God's going to get you. Oh, he's just looking for a reason. So don't step out of line with that juice. Bing, bang, boom. Because he will smoke you up. I remember I got in big trouble. Remember, Pop? Because I got caught. It was We used to do Wonder Bread, okay? We, we used to do Wonder Bread. <laughs> you already know where this is going, don't you? Guess who found the bag of Wonder Bread <laughs> and the bottle of grape juice? <laughs> and so Dad walks in and he sees me like that and it was like what are you doing i remember like oh no i hope god doesn't kill me <laughs> again you know what i mean no 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 this guys remember when i talked about in christ you are free not free to sin don't please don't ever misinterpret what i'm saying that that all oh, the and they preach some sort of gospel where you are believing jesus you can go do anything you want better not Because the Word of God is true. God didn't save you and redeem you and pile all of His grace on you for you to continue in the same sins you've always done. He did it to set you free. So that when you do blow it, and you will blow it, that you can get right up, dust yourself off, and continue on in your walk with Christ. That's what it's all about. So you can always press forward. There's nothing ever stopping you in your walk with God. There's nothing ever hindering you from pressing forward. You're free. That's the grace we're talking about. But this meal, this is for you. This is God. This is Jesus Christ saying, Would you break bread with me? If you would believe, if you would believe that my body was broken for you, if you would believe that my blood was shed for you, I don't require your perfection. I don't require any great religious observance from you. I require your heart. Now, listen, my wife is not the greatest housekeeper on the face of the planet. Listen, we're here to speak truth, okay? Don't get mad at me. I'm not the one who didn't sweep up this week. (laughs) Oh, boy. I told you I like extreme sports. She's going to be like, run! (laughs) I'll show you extreme. Uh, She could be... Well, she's a darn good cook, so you know. I mean, It doesn't matter. She could be the greatest housekeeper on the face of the planet. She would always know where all of my things that I've lost are, you know. Always on point. Always on point. But if I believe that she was just like, "Mm, how do you feel about Frank? Ah, Have you seen him? Ah, He's okay. You know, something better comes along. (laughs) It doesn't matter how good she was at everything else. If I didn't know that she was mine, And that she loved me with everything that she had, and that that is enough. I don't care. I don't need her to do anything else for me. You wouldn't believe it, would you? I'm not that guy. Where's my dinner? She does enough. Believe me. Just to keep me, you know. You know what I'm saying? You know I need a handler. You know what I mean? She's constantly don't 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 say don't don't do that. You know. Uh. Uh. But I have her heart. And let me tell you something, that's enough. God wants your heart. God doesn't need your perfection, your observances, all of the things that you think superstitiously that he needs. He wants you. That's why the religious leaders hated his guts and wanted to kill him. Because he completely took the power out of their hands and gave it to the people. It's for you and it's all up to you. Worship God with your heart. Not with the outward ceremonies of hand washings and the keeping of Sabbaths. Can you, you know, the, the, the religious people are like, ah! It's about your heart. This meal, friends, is about your heart. It's about your heart. So, Chuck, play the whole song. It's like a five-minute song coming up. Okay, we're just going to be quiet. I'm done talking. All right. The, the ushers are going to come up. They're going to guys, get your. I'll pass out the plates to you, and they're going to pass it out. Let's be quiet. Listen to this song. Just listen to this song. Know and understand this is about you. This is about Christ's love for you and what he did for you. So come on up, guys.